Welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Hi, everybody. We just recorded a couple days ago, so our news is going to be like, there's nothing Very in Very light. News. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have, I'll, I'll give, I have some nonsense news when we get there. Do you? Good, because I, I hardly got anything. Um, I mean, not much, but I do have something to say. But we are gonna, we are gonna do what we talked about doing. Um, we're gonna talk about uh, Society of Saint Pius the Tenth, mm-hmm. uh, which it, it's hard to describe exactly what they are. Are they in schism? You say schism or schism? Um, I, or I used to say yeah. It looks like schism, doesn't it? Um, yeah, for shizzle, huh? But uh, no, I, 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 I'll tell you when. Um, when I attended the uh, oh gosh, I think it was called Keep the Faith Conference. It was a, a conference of conservative Catholics. Um, yeah. back in the, I want to say early nineties. Um with maybe mid nineties, mid to early with Bob Regner. Um, and he insisted that the right way to say it is schism. Schism. So that's how I've said it. I didn't have any reason to doubt him. He, he, you know, he, he does languagey stuff for a living. So, but a lot of people will say they are in schism. They say they're not, they say they're in perfect unity with, uh, Rome. It's obvious that they aren't, (laughs) Um, but you know, the, I, sometimes I kind of compare them to like the Greek Orthodox. Oh, mm-hmm. because they, they do have valid sacraments. And, and yeah. when, uh, for some people you talk about that and they say, well, then they must be Catholic. And that's just not the case. They're not Catholic. Right. No more than the, the Greek or the, the Russian Orthodox, for example. Right. Exactly. The reason this came up is because I noticed that Taylor Marshall's uh, falling more and more on that side. And I, I, what happened was I was listening to his podcast and he, I fell on one where, where he was doing an interview with someone from there. And mm-hmm. once oh, I from realized. The society? Huh? Yeah. Somebody actually, okay. Once I realized what the interview was and that it was going to be uh, sympathetic to them. I stopped listening, not because I was afraid of hearing anything. I just, I was, I don't care about the subject. Wasn't interesting. Yeah, that was, yeah. (laughs) So I stopped listening and listened to something else. And I kind of gave Taylor Marshall, who we've, we've talked about on our show before, I gave him less and less credence. Mm -hmm. And finally, in preparation for this show, I went back and listened to his podcast. Was and, it about what you expected that it would be? Yeah, but I've talked to those people plenty of times, and I expected the argument to be uh, sophisticated anyway. Oh. I really did. I thought the okay. argument would be a good one, and it's not. So are you it, saying it's that— It's pretty the, much the, what the... I expect from every Protestant. Okay. I, I mean, are you are you saying that, that the the people that you've spoken to directly— have have presented better arguments than what you heard on this interview on the Taylor Marshall no, show? No, not necessarily that. It's just that I've I've argued with them about minor points here and there and they mm-hmm. seem to be they seem to have good arguments. I mean, okay. But 
the argument that they really give for being in this church, which is in schism with the uh, Catholic Church, is really weak. And mm-hmm. I, it just, I, I, I don't see how any of them, I, I expected more. That's all I can really say. Yeah. <laughs> I, I expected so much more. And the argument is so weak. <clears throat> and I just, I was kind of disappointed. I thought, well, yeah, we could do this podcast. I thought I was going to have to put it off and do some more research, but I don't. Oh, it turned it's, out it's a really <laughs> you could <laughs> straightforward thing that happened. So, okay. Um, and I guess we start all the way back with the introduction of the, um, of the Novus Ordo, which right. we can look at in hindsight now. We could see the damage that it's done. It yeah, obviously I, was not a good move. And a bishop named Lefebvre saw that and he right. decided, Marce- I'm not going to Marce- say the Novus Ordo. Marcel, is that his first name? Marcel Lefebvre? Yeah. So he's against the Novus Ordo. And he establishes, other people asked him to do it, and I don't know who all got involved, but he established the Society of St. Pius X, and it was going to be, um, it was going to be an all Latin thing. They're not going to say any English stuff. None of the, none of the, they almost proceeded as if Vatican II did not happen. Not just all Latin. Let's even clarify further, because, um, the, the Novus Ordo Mass was propagated in Latin and then permitted in to be translated um, into various uh, languages uh, according to, you know, approved texts and so forth. Um, right. But it's it. The language is not really the distinguishing feature that that um, that we're talking about here. Uh, it's the right that was in. um um, in use up to, uh, what was it? 19, uh, 69, whenever the Nova sort of was brought out, yeah. but it, it's, it's the right that, that in, in its basic format, you could say it's the ancient, right? I mean, it is centuries old, uh, even more than a millennium old, um, as a right in, it's it would be fully recognizable in its basic form um you know by people 1500 years ago if they went to one of these um right. what they people call traditional latin mass or tridentine mass or whatever uh, and vice versa if somebody who attends one of those today attended mass 1500 years ago in in the roman rite it would they it, you know they would feel fairly at home um, now there have been developments and changes, you know, minor adjustments and tweaks here and there throughout the centuries. And the latest promulgation of, of some updates to that, I think was what John the 23rd in 1961 or 62, somewhere yeah. around there, maybe even, maybe even 59. Yeah. I'm not sure about the years. So he took out a couple prayers, something like that. Yeah. But, but so maybe that's, I don't know if you know, I certainly don't, but, but the, specifically the Society of St. Pius X, the, the Lefebvreites, if you want to call them that, um, do they go by this John the 23rd one, or do they insist on one that's even older than that? I, you know what? I don't even know. I, I kind of been assuming that they go by the, uh, like the 59 version or the one before that final change. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. But I don't know. I didn't look that just, up. That was just a point of curiosity. But so, the, but but the point, folks, is that uh, you know, for those who have not had a chance to to experience both um, the the Tridentine Mass and the the modern Mass. Um, you could go to a modern mass in Latin. You could find one if you can find one. Um, go to a modern mass in Latin and attend and then go find a Tridentine mass and attend it. And you'll see that the difference between them has far, uh, more, um, than just the language to it. Right. Right. Uh, there's, there's just, well, they changed a lot of things and Lefebvre saw this and was like, whoa, this is insane. You know, this is my faith that I've been handed down for th- uh, hundreds of years and I'm supposed to keep that going. And then you hand me this and we've yeah. got things like people reaching out their hands to take communion, which, you know, for someone in that time period would have been like, you can't just touch communion. Right. And he just was against the whole thing. So he started this order that would only use the uh, pre-Novus Ordo uh, sacraments. And I, I guess it goes for all of them, baptism and everything else. They were and, not going to go yeah, use the anything way, I that think, happened after Vatican II. Right. I would say that the, the entire liturgical um, set, the, you know, the, the, the breviary that their priests use and everything is, is the pre yeah. Sort of. Yeah. So um, he was okay. I'm probably going to mispronounce all kinds of names. Um, <laughs> yeah, those folks. This is we're going to do Midwestern pronunciations here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So we had and Bishop I... Mamie. No, I'm sorry. Sherrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's what it looks like. He granted uh, Lefebvre the Pia Unio, uh, which is. It, it, it's kind of, it's the first step, and when you start a society, it's the first step of getting that formally recognized. Oh, okay, okay. So this Bishop Charrier, uh, C H A R R I E R E, looks French, uh, granted him this, and it was on a provisional basis for six years. Okay, that was in seventy. Okay. Now, so fairly there like, were right after the new mass came out. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Immediately he started doing this, and his okay. uh, his society grew, uh, I guess, faster than you would expect a society to grow. I mm-hmm. mean, there were plenty of priests out there who were going like, "Hey, we can come here, and we don't have to say the the new order." So let's well, go. You there. know, it, the new order really it kind of upset a lot of people. That you know, of course, they kind of get I would think squashed. So by the masses but um but not everybody liked it uh, well you know a lot of people didn't like it um but do you know for example that um you know J.R.R. Tolkien of Lord of the Rings authorship mm-hmm. um he hated the new mass and so what he would do when 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 it came around not just the new mass but then everybody was doing it in in English or you know the vernacular but for his it was English yeah um what he would do is he would say the responses in Latin and he would do it loud and <laughs> like, you know, angrily. I take everyone off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, to, so I, I mean, Lefebvre was getting uh, a following 
because there were plenty mm-hmm. of people who just didn't like this. Um, and at some point in the next five years, uh, he was visited by some priests who were supposed to report back to Rome what they saw. Uh, they were obviously very liberal, and so they had all kinds of bad things to say about Lefebvre. Uh, Lefebvre writes a letter condemning those two priests, mm-hmm. and then in 75, Bishop Mamie is the way I'm reading this. Uh, okay. He's Sherrier's uh, Successor? Successor. His I was trying successor. to think of the opposite yeah. okay. of predecessor, but I couldn't think of the word. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So apparently, um, Mamie, Bishop Mamie was um, Sherrier's successor, and he withdrew the Pia Unio status. Okay. So as of right now, uh, St. Pius X, the, the society is not. They're not uh, legal. They're, they've been kind of stripped of their of whatever recognition they had, um, and that was in 1975. Okay, they so, continued so, to operate. So what? So okay. So so they had to have a a basic permission to operate as a society in any case, and that was granted provisionally. And then the successor to the guy who granted that removed it early because it was supposed to be six years and he removed it early, but they continued to, instead of, you know, trying to, well, I'm sure they did try to work it, but they just decided to continue to operate anyway. Right. Now here's another, here's one of those things where I see, I see their arguments come up and I'm like, that's the dumb, that's a dumb argument. Um, one of the things they said is that they weren't, uh, they weren't disapproved by the Pope. And that once a bishop approves of an order, it takes a pope to uh, to strip it of that of their standing, uh, their their ecclesiastical that standing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, okay, I would. I don't see that because I mean it was a it was a provisional one to begin with, and it was only six right. years. And well, and so the let's, successor let's, of that pope is the one. Let's who, grant that. Go ahead and grant that, okay? Okay. That well, okay. So that covers them for about what a year and a half. Yeah, not very long. That argument. So okay, right. what about what about you know the uh, forty years after that? <laughs> okay, so uh, they continue operating. Pope Paul the uh, sixth. Sixth. Uh, he calls him out by name, but I don't know if he he says anything that has any strength in it. This oh, okay. is nineteen seventy six. Okay. I don't he know might if not he's have issued any decrees, gives any or commands or anything. But um, Lefebvre announces that he's going to ordain uh, some priests mm-hmm. in nineteen seventy six, and he is warned not to mm-hmm. okay. by Pope Paul the sixth. Uh, yeah, he was I've given heard a special order not to. I, I've heard arguments about that. Did and uh, I think that's the one that I've heard people argue back and forth about. Was it st- specifically and strictly speaking an order not to, or was it just a um, a warning that it could have bad consequences? He pointed out to him the uh, 
what happens when a bishop uh, breaks instructions and it does things that he's not allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it, it, I haven't read, I didn't read the actual warning. When you're told, if you do this, this will happen to you, I think that's... It's I kind mean, of a don't do that. <laughs> I could say to my kid, don't get into the cookies. Or I could say, if you get into cookies, I'm going to smack your butt. Yeah. I mean, what's the difference there? Especially when he's talking about um, uh, stripping him of any authority he had as yeah. a bishop. And, and, and you know, the, the whole ecclesial operations of the church, the, you know, that it should be pretty yeah. clear that he was just being told, don't do it. Right. So, but he did it anyway on June 29th of 1976. Mm-hmm. And he's been ordaining um, priests since. That's when he ordained his priests. Right. Um, and he mentioned in the sermon at that ordination that he might be stripped, that he might uh, be suspended, and that they might be prevented from saying mass. Um, so the next day, the uh, Holy See... Uh, declares in accordance with canon 2373 of the code of canon law at the time that uh, Lefebvre was automatically suspended for one year from Mm -hmm. conferring ordination and that those who he ordained were automatically suspended from the exercise of the order received. Okay. I don't know if, I guess they still are technically priests, right? Yes. Yes. The, the priest is a, a indelible mark on the soul uh once a priest always a priest um and they would still continue to for example um say mass privately and 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 whatever other requirements you know there are upon priests i don't know exactly what the requirements are now well i don't know they used to have to say have to say mass once a day but they would do that privately they would not be allowed to say mass publicly they would not be allowed to hear confessions and so forth well, I don't know. It was uh, those whom he had ordained were automatically suspended from the exercise of the order received. Yeah, well, yeah, that could, so would that they be could allowed mean to they say can't even say privately. Yeah, that, that might be they're not even allowed to say private masses. That's what I would think. Um, yeah. So the Pope, I guess, was steaming about this, and he didn't think that was enough. Um, so... In, uh, let's see, in July of 1976, he suspends Lefebvre for an indefinite time from all okay. exercise of holy orders. I guess he's, he can't even say mass at this point. Okay, right. Um, let's see. He continues doing all these things, though, obviously. Yeah, he continues anyway. Right, right. He kind of, he ignores the suspension. And it's, it's kind of, they're both ignoring each other, I would say. Mm-hmm. Until 1988, I guess he's getting old. He's thinking he's going to die, yeah. and he's going to consecrate some bishops. This was the big one. Some of the priests that he had ordained, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, he was told not to. Well, this is a okay. much bigger deal because canonically in order for a bishop and actually there i've 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 heard it argued that it's not just canonically it's it's actually um part of the divine law as it relates to ecclesial um exercise you know exercise of of ecclesial authority and jurisdiction and everything but a bishop is not allowed to ordain men 
as bishops without a mandate from the Pope to do so. Right. And, I mean, it, the the canon law specifically is 1382, a bishop who consecrates someone a bishop without a pontifical mandate, and the person who receives the consecration from him incur right. a excommunication. Right. Uh, what does it mean reserved to the Holy See? Does that mean that, that means... only the Pope can relieve him of that? Yes, only the Pope can, can invite lift them back into the church. The excommunication, right? Okay. Because normally, you know, uh, I mean, there's a lot of excommunications that a bishop can lift, for example. Mm-hmm. So the Pope reminded him of this, and he does it anyway. Right. And then I remember Pope. This is John Paul II. And he issued yeah. a letter afterwards. In fact, that trip I mentioned with Bob Regner. This was the point of discussion. What did this event put them into schism? Are they now in schism? The underlying assumption, I think, of a lot of the people was that up until that point, they weren't. But if you consider the whole history up to that point, technically, they... They kind of almost were. Were. But it's, but it's, it's a... The, well, the, the thing is this. They, um, so he incurred an excommunication... Here's what I don't quite understand the intricacies of. Excommunication itself is strictly and entirely an ecclesiological um, uh, concept. So if you are excommunicated through an act of the Pope or if you do something that has already been established in canon law, it's a legal concept. You know, you get excommunicated by incurring excommunication or by receiving excommunication, period. And it doesn't even matter where your heart is on the matter. You know what I mean? The Pope, you can become excommunicated even though you haven't done anything wrong, sinned in any way, and it's still a real excommunication. I'm not sure that schism is the same kind of a legalistic concept. And so I don't know well, what, how much it the the schism requ- the idea of being in schism requires some official in the church to declare sit, that you're in schism versus how much of it is merely the fact that you refuse to submit to their authority and that puts you in schism as as yeah. a not not just as an individual but as a you know as a body. How would this compare to someone in the Greek Orthodox Church? Would uh, someone who, uh, a Greek Orthodox, they're not really excommunicated, are they? Because they were never no. in the church. Well, they they were at one time. I mean, the, the, the Orthodox, the various schismatic Orthodox. No, I mean, someone you know, who's baptized as this an individual. Morning. Right. They're, yeah, they're not, they don't, in, they don't, they don't, they're not in, a, they're not excommunicated exactly because they were never really communicated to Rome. So they can't be excommunicated. The entire body of Greek Orthodox is in schism from Rome. Yeah. So, and, and I think this, but, what that means as a status is that they are considered technically part of the church, but as a body, uh, s- prevented from being fully part of the church because of a refusal to submit to authority. And that's like yeah. schism. You distinguish schism from heresy. Schism is refusal to submit to authority. Heresy is um, refusal to submit to teachings. Okay. The one but, is obedience. Uh, the other is, you know, 
they did refuse to submit to uh, the Pope's authority. Yeah, exactly. So even back when they were when they were ordaining priests, they're excommunicated and they are in schism. Right. They he had, he specifically incurred an excommunication by consecrating those bishops. Um, yeah, and that is like absolutely clear in. Now, have you heard his argument against this? No. All right. There is a uh, Canon 751. Okay. Um, How how, how did they worded it? Something to the point. If he believes that the faith itself is at risk, it it somehow excuses the action um, and and keeps him from being excommunicated. If. It's a really, really weak argument, but uh, basically he argues that his actions had been necessary because the traditional form of the Catholic faith and the sacraments would become extinct without the traditionalist movement, these people who are in schism, it, without them to pass them on to the next generation. I, that's got to be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Yeah, I, mean, we've got I think books. so too. We've got films we've got recordings what what do they mean extinct he means the practice i'm sure yeah i know but but people bring yeah, up pa- practices later well, yeah and yeah. and the to be honest if uh if all the people who were in the society of saint pius X, instead of leaving the catholic church if they had mm-hmm. stayed in the church there would be an even stronger movement to get the tridentine mass going again right Right. They wouldn't have set him for a while, possibly, but, and I, I think there are pockets that did say them. They didn't, it didn't disappear entirely. Uh, it wasn't outlawed. Mm-hmm. You just, you had to have special permissions and stuff. Well, but it was, it, it, yeah, it was outlawed by, in the sense that, that, yeah, the, the new norm was, was promulgated, which made this is what is required. And then by dispensation or indult, you could get permission to do something else instead. So in that sense, yeah. it was outlawed. But it wasn't, um, I mean, there were people, and I don't know when this actually started happening, but there were people who, who were getting permission from bishops to, to say the traditional mass and, yeah. and doing it legally then. I mean, when, when, uh, I guess, let's see. SSPX was alive in Cincinnati. Um, I guess that would have been the early nineties and mom still had not, there was still not a Tridentine mass in Cincinnati that we could go to. Right. But as soon as it came, I mean, that little church filled up pretty quick. Yeah. It, it kind of exploded. Right. And a lot of it were people who were in SSPX. And who hated the fact that they felt like they were uh, cut off from the Catholic Church, and when yeah, uh, but see that's that's where the where they're going to make the argument that 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 say hey the fact that this existed even as a a um, a rogue uh, element uh, is what allowed people to be con- to to develop this kind of attachment so that they could promote it within the legitimate church there were some of them but i i I don't think you would even count that as the majority of them no i don't think it is 
not even close, really. Because because I think because the majority of the people of them that were in the society with them. Yeah, they they it wasn't it, it didn't become entirely about the mass for them. It became about the entire church. They 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 are you know they need to be right on the edge of of claiming that that the whole church has has become heretical or something. You know, it, it's kind and of like and they've got a, some um, kind of secret way of 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 maintaining what the rest of us cannot yeah that's what i see with a lot of them so that was in uh let's see 88 is when he ordained them and that's when they all officially became excommunicates uh or the leaders he became and the three bishops that he consecrated became excommunicated now here's the thing once that happened that's when I think that that all of the individual people that who stayed with them, knowing that they're excommunicated now, because canon law says it. That's when if you could, if you want to distinguish between um, material schismatic, he's you know he was disobeying yeah. the Pope's orders about priests. Now he's fully publicly excommunicated for people to still stay with him and stay in communion with him makes them very formally schismatic now as a body. Right. Yeah. And yet Pope John Paul II is gone. Uh Benedict the Sixteenth comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh he was a friend of the traditional Latin Mass. And he uh publishes oh I can't remember the name of it. Samorum Pontificum. I don't have it here. Yeah. Uh first of all promoting the Tridentine Mass. Second of all uh, it, it's a rule that bishops cannot keep priests from saying the traditional Latin Mass. Right. Um, that first of all, there's that. That's huge for us, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got to talk about that later because there's some development on that. Um, but aside from that, he knows that there's thousands, maybe millions, of people in this society who. Uh, want to be Catholic, he thinks. Mm-hmm. And he wants to get them in the church. And he is the Pope. So he remits the excommunication. Was there a, a formal act by which he did so then? Uh, let's see. Excommunication. And had it declared at the time of 1988 consecrations and expressed the hope that all members of the society would follow this up speedily returning to full communion with the church. I, I I think it was because I remember hearing about it. Yeah, but was it a invitation to return to communion or was it actually a uh He did lift the excommunication. Lifting. Okay. Okay. So so now Lefebvre and his three bishops are Lefebvre is is he dead by Lefebvre by is time? dead by now. He's by now. Okay. So Lefebvre's yeah. bishops are now not excommunicated anymore. Correct. Okay. Um, but they don't really have an order. They don't really have a ministry. Uh, the things that they are right. doing still are uh, illicit. Right. Um, and and as a society, the Society of St. Pius X s- still does not have ecclesial... I don't know what the right word is, but... Um, it's not a real thing in the church. It doesn't have ecclesial recognition. Right. right. Um, he, they've been invited to come back to the church and 
Um, and this is even with Pope Francis. Pope Francis lifts the, uh, Pope Francis gives them special uh, permission to uh, hear confessions and to uh, officiate marriages. Right. And this was during his year of mercy. It, it right. Was, it was part of his year of mercy that that he wanted to make confessions more available to more people, so he granted them the authority right. to do this that. This is 2015, and he says you can do this for the next year. Right. And um, and here's the thing. I, I mean, I everyone knows my opinion of Saint Fra- or Pope Francis. Pope Francis. I just, yeah, we we've talked just, about that on our podcast. A he few hasn't times. been a good pope. And and I would anything he says or does, I would tend to to be suspicious of. Mm-hmm. But um, I do honestly think he's thinking about the flock. I I have to think that because he it's not so much the priests or the bishops in the society. He wants to bring the people back into the church, mm-hmm. and so he's allowing for them to do the marriages. He's allowing for them to hear confessions for that one year, and then right. later. He extends that allowance uh, indefinitely. Okay, okay. Um, so the society still does not have ecclesial uh, standing, but right. the priests and bishops in the society are allowed to hear confessions and officiate marriages. Right, and that's all they're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. They're not allowed okay. to say, uh, if you go to their mass on Sunday, you have not fulfilled your Sunday obligation unless mm-hmm. you cannot get to a regular mass. Right, right. Now, they've been invited to uh, to hash things out. And they have three points that they are unwilling to give on concerning Vatican II. They are unwilling to recognize uh, certain points in Vatican II that I don't even want to say unwilling to recognize. They... They reject Vatican II, mm-hmm. and they reject the documents of Vatican II on three different points. One is ecumenism. Uh, what were the other two? Freedom of religion and something else. I can't remember. But that's where they stand firmly now. Oh, In other words, they do reject. salvation outside the church? Could be, but that's the same as ecumenism. No, ecumenism, well, ecumenism is a, is a weird, um, cause like for ecumenism usually just means, you know, gathered together as one. So like, for example, Vatican II was an ecumenical council in the sense that all the bishops of the world got together and, and took part in it. Whereas like the Amazon Synod was not an ecumenical council. It was focused on one region of the world. Um, I'm not sure exactly, um, I, I've kind of okay. I, I think there's a a push to try to um, to try to make it seem like any Christian religion is just as good as the Catholic religion, and that might be the ecumenism yeah. that they're talking about. But that's not the same as salvation outside the church, which is a you know because okay. like salvation outside the church and and some of the things that that Vatican II says about that, you know they they've got some odd things to 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 propose in regards to even like, like complete non-Christians and, and, you know, right. presumably like cannibals and stuff, you know, in, in, in a jungle somewhere where they've and never even heard of Christ, you know, and we've talked about that in a past podcast. Yeah, we have talked about it. And I mean, 
as Catholics, we are of the, uh, in our way of understanding this, is that Christ promised he would not uh, forsake his church and that the church would always teach the truth. Now, if you can look at the document and you could say, in this sense, this is true, then Christ hasn't forsaken his church. Right, right. This is where we part with the SSPX, because they feel like they shouldn't have to do that. It should be obvious that it doesn't. No one should be able to look at the document and say, no, it does break from the truth. See, right, right here. It's like they, they think that the that the documents of the church should be unambiguous in what they mean and what they teach and the specificity and everything else, which is kind of an odd way to to think given both. I mean, okay, in ancient times, the church did tend to take a little bit of care when they pronounced things in documents. Right. They yeah, and 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 certainly Vatican II was extremely lax in comparison with that. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, you, you, you don't get that kind of clarity, for example, in the Bible. Um, right. You know, not, not that the church should try to emulate Nowhere close. the Bible in that sense, but, <laughs> but yeah, to think that, that everywhere throughout history, that everything's always going to be exactly clear cut and, and unambiguous and so on and so forth, um, is an unreasonable expectation. Right. And, uh, you know, you said in our last podcast, you mentioned the, um, the fact that God uses history to teach. Oh, yeah. God writes with history. And I think the last 50 years are certainly telling of, of what happens when you allow certain liberties. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, they, aside from that, they will not, uh, declare the Novus Ordo licit. Right. That's another point that they flat out refuse on. Yeah. Even, the, even though, I, it, isn't it true that, that Lefebvre actually, when he was a bishop attending Vatican II, didn't he sign all the documents? Uh, you know, I, cause you know, don't the bishops know. all signed the documents and, you know, to and, and give their, their, um, kind of stamp of, um, officialdom to, to, all the doc- I think he signed all the Vatican II documents. I might be wrong. I don't know if he did or not. Um, but the thing is, they they won't even consider it illicit mass. Mm-hmm. And I, when you hear those two last things, the fact that they won't recognize Vatican II and that they won't recognize the Novus Ordo as a real mass or as illicit mass, right? I I think that's telling enough. You don't really need to know too much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, aside you, you from can... the fact that they're in schism. Right. <laughs> from from the very start they were. I just Yeah, they they the the um as a society, I mean it's it's almost like they were I don't want to say born into schism because they did receive that initial provisional um yeah, approval to operate, but almost, you know, in in historical terms almost right away um that was removed and they continued to operate anyway against the authority of the church right and it's not that it just ran out either it was actually removed because it was like hey there's a problem here right these guys kind of think they're they they want to be set apart obviously yeah they don't want to be part of the church so uh that that 
That's kind of it. I I thought there was more to it than that. I thought there were some more <laughs> legal arguments. It would be yes, yeah, a little bit of. Uh, I know that there's there's some arguments that they invoke. Um, oh, who who like there's someone who who talks about well, you know, if um, uh, you know, under the the um, and I think maybe this is the same thing as the appeal to the one canon, but but under the you know, a crisis of necessity, um, you know, you, you, yeah. you can do certain things. Um, and they'll say that, you know, they'll, they'll Don't you say think that's that the kind Pope's of vain themselves... to think that Christ's church and the sacraments rest squarely on you disobeying the Pope? Well, Otherwise you know, the church won't survive. Isn't that well, a little bit who was Pompous? the prophet? I, was was it? It was one of the prophets of the Old Testament that um, the people, you know, he he uh, that this reminds me of, and I forget exactly who it was or what the circumstance. You know, I, I got to go back and and read my Bible more so I know this stuff when I talk about it. Um, but he was um, in fear for his life from the the people in the town that you know they were threatening them because he didn't they didn't like what he was saying, and he ran away to the wilderness. Um, and he's having a conversation with God and God's saying, you know, what are you doing? Why aren't you, you know, teaching my ways? Well, you know, I had to get away from them and hide because they were going to kill me. And if they killed me, then who would be here to tell them, you know, what you want me to tell them? Yeah. You see, it's kind of like that. Kind of I, I, I wish I could remember. <laughs> exactly. I wish I could remember which, which prophet it was that, that, and of course he got the point and went back, but, um, but it's kind of like that, you know, to, to think that, yeah, okay, you're the only uh, ones who can, who can, uh, who can save this. Um, he never stopped to consider that if it's God's church, then you don't have to worry about it. It's, yeah, yeah, God will It's take out care of your of hands. Right. You just right. do what you're, what you're supposed to do. And sometimes that means obedience. Yeah. Like right now with all these terrible bishops. We don't have to say they're good people, but these priests do have to do what they're told. To, yeah, and he shut exactly. that priest down in Terre Haute. Terre Haute, right? Yeah. Now, on, yeah, it would have been wrong the for the hand, priest to to just continue doing that, hearing the confessions in his his pickup truck anyway. But um, on the other hand, I, I have to ask about that. What if? Um, I mean, what if I went to that priest and said, "Hey, I, I, I don't know. I really need confession." Can you hear my confession? Yeah, that's. Now, now, if he were to grant a, you know, okay, based on a phone call, and then say, mm-hmm. okay, we'll we will set up a special circumstance, um, you know, something like, um, I'll I'll tell you what, you you uh you come to the door of the Meet rectory, and, yeah, and and I you you be on one side of the glass, I'll be on the other side of the glass. I can see you, and and you just kind of put your lips real close to the glass, and I'll put my ear so that I can hear your confession. And, and, and then I'll give you, you know, if under a special circumstance he were to set up something special like that, well, you know, unless the bishop explicitly said you're not under any circumstances to hear anybody's confession, I would think that would be fine. You know, something I guess, like that. You know, it, because, you technically know, technically the bishop could do that though, couldn't he? I, you know, I think he could accept. Here's the one thing that makes me think maybe not. So, I, you know that, for example, for a priest to um, they, to have what what's called facilities, which is the right to hear confessions, for example, in a diocese right. that isn't his home diocese, 
he has to go to the bishop of that diocese and say, hey, I'm visiting here. I'd like to hear confessions while I'm here. And then the bishop grants him facilities to do so. Uh, same thing for saying mass publicly and I think and that kind of stuff. And without that, he's not allowed to do that. Now, if he does it, it's still a valid confession, but he's not allowed to do it. Right. Um, however, if somebody approaches that priest and says, Father, I want to make a confession, then he's allowed to hear that confession, regardless of whether he's gone to the bishop and gotten facilities. That's how I understand it. I would think it. especially in, in a, like an emergency type case. Right, right. But see, then you... There are like uh, Father. Well, I, I don't know what is he is now. If he's blessed or um, Saint Solano, is that his name? The guy in Indiana. Um, I don't even. He know was who a you're priest. About. He was not allowed to hear confessions, and he was not allowed to say mass. Oh, really? Ever, Father's? I think his name's Father Solano. Hold on, I better look it up. Solano. He or... was. Solanus. S S O L A N U S. Solanus. Okay, Casey Solanus. I never heard of him. Okay, you got to look into him. There's a ton of miracles surrounding this guy. No kidding. Um, he was not allowed to hear confessions, and he obeyed the bishop. Uh, he was he wasn't allowed to say mass either. He was he was kind of dimwitted, I guess. He tried a number of times to become a priest, and he kept failing. Finally, he was given this special. And he was technically a priest, but he couldn't hear confessions. So he would answer the door at the rectory. Huh? I guess he is blessed now, huh? He's at least blessed. Because they uh, exhumed the body and it was incorrupt. Which was weird because his legs were were pink and lively looking. Huh. But he he had a terrible skin condition on his legs. Oh, And they were normally covered with sores or dry skin. Huh. Anyway, he would uh, answer the door at the rectory, and people would line up, up and down the street, waiting to just talk to him. But he couldn't hear confessions. I see. Huh, interesting. So, there are cases where uh, a priest is told, you can't do this, and I... You have to, yeah, obey. Under obedience, he... I think, I I think in, in this case, even if you were dying and you needed confession i i don't know if he could hear your confession then or not canon law probably has a provision for that yeah like for example well like for example in, in case of, of of danger of imminent death um canon law also dispenses with the requirement to confess to make a confession as long as you do your best to make a good act right of contrition you can get absolution. to receive holy communion well i don't know about absolution but to receive holy communion well, I, well think. I don't understand that at all well, so for example, why, I mean, why is it, what's the emergency that you receive communion? You don't need that to get to heaven. No, you don't. But the reception of the sacrament, if you're, you know, if you make a good act of contrition and, and, and you're worthy and you receive the sacrament, it, that those graces can help keep you, for example, from like, like despairing at the moment of your death. Or something yeah. like that. I guess, you like know, if you're in prison or something, and uh, uh, you know, or let's say you're on the Titanic and like and you know martyr. it's going down. Well, maybe Father can say, say, "Okay, guys, we we know it's going down. Let's yeah. let's." Uh, or maybe even on the lifeboat, a priest could say a mass on the lifeboat, for example. You know, mm-hmm. the people don't know whether they're going to be rescued or not. That's the kind of thing I I 
kind of think of when I think, but you know, extreme rare circumstances. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, that, that's so rare. It almost isn't worth talking about. <laughs> but what isn't rare is someone in the hospital who wants last rites or, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, say, uh, give a confession and right. needs a priest come to see him. And the priest has been told you can't, uh, hear confessions. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they're. I don't know where the. I don't where know the, how obligated they are to obey. I just. Right. I don't right. know. Well, but I would um, be surprised. I do know if, that obedience is a pretty big part of, and even Saint Pius, uh, Saint Padre Pio. Mm-hmm. It was he was told you can't say mass anymore, and I think for like two years he couldn't say mass, or yeah. maybe it was just public mass. I don't know, but he obeyed. Mm-hmm. And Lefebvre yeah. didn't. Yeah. Ecclesial now, obedience is extremely important. Mom tells a story, and I don't know how true it is, of Lefebvre and Padre Pio meeting. Huh. And Padre Pio making him promise not to disobey. And Lefebvre said he wouldn't disobey. And, then and Padre Pio said, you're lying. You're going to tear the church apart. Huh. Interesting. I don't know how true that is. There's yeah. there's all kind. You know, with Padre Pio, there's all kinds of legends, and it's hard to find the you look real for the ones documented from, ones, right? That that could be something that uh, you know some of the there are some people who absolutely hate uh, the Society of Saint Peter of Saint Pius the Tenth. Yeah, because they hate tradition. That's and, yeah. There's people who hate it for the wrong reasons too you know, to right. disapprove of it. <laughs> um, they they right. equally, you know, would, would hate, you know, what our mom does, for example. The argument that we would not have the traditional Latin mass today if it hadn't been for Lefebvre, I, I think don't think that ludicrous. stands. I don't think that stands. Okay. Uh, that's all I got to say about it. All right. Well, there you go, folks. A, uh, a short history of the Society of St. Pius X. Um, and they... So when you hear... You know, usually you, you you only hear people who are already kind of traditional arguing about it. If you're mm-hmm. not in the traditional movement, you don't even hear it. Man, you don't even know who they are. They're just yeah, you might of, not have even heard somebody of. Somebody said, "Oh yeah, they're oh, yeah, they're a couple of kooks or still mm-hmm. saying Latin masses or whatever." <laughs> uh, and we, you know, I attend a Latin mass. I am not part of that group, and there's plenty of other. Uh, traditionalists who are not part of that group. Mm-hmm. Right. Speaking of which, you know, another thing we should mention is the fact that the group has splintered several times. Well, you know that, yeah, that and that's kind of a hallmark of a of a not just sism- Protestant. schismatic, but but Protestant style schismatic. Pro, you yeah. know, because um, some I, of I mean, them like even the, like the Orthodox churches. Enough. They're schismatic, but they haven't splintered like the Society of St. Pius X has. That is true. Yeah. But they've got the Society of uh, St. Pius V, and then there's there's a couple other ones who are, you know, they... But they, they, they do what most Protestants do. They just kind of splinter. And uh, mm-hmm. there are some reports about, uh, I guess, some of the priests were... Uh, there were some scandals concerning uh uh sexual abuse 
Oh, mm-hmm. I kind of think of those. Say, look, that that happens. That seems to be happening everywhere uh, at a lot of places. I I guess the big point of that is that the the SSPXers kind of nominated themselves as the savior of the church. They're the ones that are going to keep the church pure during this terrible crisis. Mm-hmm. But that hasn't happened. Yeah. They are human, just like the rest of yeah, us. That's, yeah, that's. And some bad things have happened in that church as well. Oh, okay. Concerning, um, dang on it, I had this pulled up and then I lost. Okay, so this is um, Pope Francis Mm -hmm. has sent out a letter uh, on April 27th. Okay. To the United States bishops. Uh oh. Actually, I don't know if it's just to the U.S. bishops or. Or uh, the bishops of the world. Ah, letter to the world's bishops. Okay. And in it is a survey with questions about uh, the um, extraordinary form of the Mass being said in their diocese. Oh, just a survey. It's a survey. But okay. I'm looking for some of the uh, some of the questions that are asked. They're, they're kind of, they give me a really sinking feeling. Uh, oh, in your opinion, are there positive or negative aspects of the use of the extraordinary form? What kind oh, of question is that? Yeah, that's... Uh, is there a true pastoral need, or is it promoted by a single priest? You know, most of the places that that it's there, it's there because lay people asked for it. And yeah. found, found a priest and recruited a priest to say for them a mass. And yeah. here's here's the other thing. I'm not sure the bishops appreciate that well enough to answer that survey correctly. I kind of don't think they do. Now, you go to any Latin mass, uh, you go to, say, coffee afterwards, <clears throat> sorry, and you'll find people who have driven there two hours to get to this mass, mm-hmm. and they are in contact with other people, and they're all talking about, oh, there's... You know, they'll, they'll start talking about, oh, there's a rumor that Father so-and-so might come out our way and maybe he'll, maybe he'll start saying mass for us and, yeah. and things like that. They right. desperately wanting a priest who will say the Latin mass for them. Yeah. It, it's, it's almost entirely a laity movement. Well, well it's kind of scary. It sounds like the Pope. I don't know if it knocking around for reasons to shut it down though. I, I'm, I'm kind of scared. Yeah, I mean, we know his attitude towards it. He's like, oh, right. I don't get these people wanting to be so, what do you call it, rigid. Yeah, rigid. So, I, I don't know. It's scary. I I hope, I, I don't know. I We just got to trust in God on this one. And, and there might be, I hate to say this, there might be a period where suddenly we can't get to the Latin Mass again. Yeah, that's, that is he scary. He could do that. And that's quite possible, yeah. The Pope could say no more Tridentine Mass, mm-hmm. uh, and and I don't know if you're going to be Catholic, then you got to obey, that, or that you got to put up with the fact that your priest is going to obey. <laughs> right, right. So, um, in the news, the only thing I could find: uh, mm-hmm. Trump administration announced that it will withdraw from the Open Skies Treaty uh, because of. Russia, it kept violating the oh. the uh, treaty. Okay. So he said, we're not going to be a part of this. I'm glad to see things like that. You never see 
you hear about all these treaties, mm-hmm. and you know nobody's really following it, and you never hear about the president saying, "You know what? That's it. We're not. <laughs> this is stupid. Why are we part of this treaty? I mean, nobody's. We're not going to be part of a treaty that isn't being followed anyway. Yeah, yeah. we're violating it. We're going to just withdraw. So mm-hmm. that's what Trump is doing. Uh, that's all I got. Okay. <laughs> well, I got a couple of that things. Happen? Well, here, there, I, I came across this this uh, thing according to a study uh, published in the Integrative Organismal Biology, the, the Journal of in, of Integrative Organismal Biology. Um, no, I'm saying that wrong. The Journal of in, Integrative Organismal Biology. Um, they think that uh, evolutionarily speaking. Men started growing beards because you can take a harder hit to the face that way by a fist. <laughs> Does this is this something that they they actually conducted studies? I don't think on real people, but studies on on uh, like um, styles of sheepskin that could approximate the different kinds of ways of growing and, and grooming beards and that kind of stuff. Um, and the, um, the impact of, of, you know, percussive forces and stuff, you know, as you hit it and that kind of stuff and, and the absorption ratio of the hair, you know, versus the bone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they think um, that, so if you grow a nice woolly so beard, there, you can, you won't have a glass jaw, I guess. So they're saying you take better hits in general to the face, or okay, the the beard absorbs the hit to your face. Well, why wouldn't women grow them too? Because <laughs> women aren't as pugilistic as men, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> anyway, um, a uh, <laughs> this guy. I guess there's a mayor in Peru who who has not been taking the whole coronavirus very seriously. He was out drinking with some buddies, and it's reported that to, uh, you know, the the police showed up because they weren't supposed to be out, you know, drinking and and gathering anyway. And to avoid being arrested, it says to avoid being arrested. I think it was just to to yank everybody's chain. Um, yeah. By the time the police got there, he was laying in a casket with his eyes closed with a corona mask on, acting dead. Did they end up arresting him, I wonder? Yeah, he, they, they arrested him and charged him with failure to keep curfew or something like that. They've so been where up, did the, I wonder, they've been upset with him because... Is this a national he, law that he broke? Or? That's what I'm thinking. I, I, it's, it's in Peru, and I'm thinking that he has not been doing his part to enforce the national right. guidelines and stuff anyway... <laughs> I'll bet the people so, love him. I bet so. He's probably a, like him a local hero more than all the other. Yeah, he's he's. I'll bet he's real popular. Like like uh, Rudy, who was the guy in New York, Giovanni. Giovanni. Oh, Rudy Gio- Giovanni was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll bet. I'll bet people liked him. Mm-hmm. Like him before he died of coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> Now here's this is a weird one. I, I, this isn't a story. I don't the, the story itself. I don't even know what the story is. Um, but on the the same page that I read about the Peru mayor, um, you know how on these pages yeah. down at the bottom you'll have like links to other mags and stuff like that, and you know with with headlines right. and stuff. 
So, the headline is, Missing Submarine with 80 Sailors Found. Experts Discovered the Truth. Okay, uh, fine. Interesting enough as it is. Wait a minute. Well, I don't know. Sub with eight, 80, 80 sailors. Yeah. Sailors, and then what was that right last part? Experts discovered the truth. I guess they Experts they found the sub and, and the maybe figured out why it was missing or something like that. I don't know. But that's not the point. The point is that this apparently is a headline in a magazine called Maternity Week. Maternity Week. Maternity Week. That completely well, doesn't connect. Sailors probably had, uh, had, had girls at home who... Uh, uh, maybe that's the connection. Maybe back. that's the connection. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so um, last nonsense news. This is kind of a thing. I know that this is a big, uh, this kind of sticks in your crawl, but, you know, how the uh, the whole um, uh, funeral and burial uh, racket, yeah. you know, and everything. So uh, Terry and I actually went and, and signed a contract to have... Um, to, to basically buy our grave sites and, uh, ha, you know, cause we really? just have everything. Yeah, we, we figured when it, when we go. Me? No, I'm not kidding you. We were gonna get a family plot. I know, but I. What happens when we get a family plot? Are you still gonna be buried there? Yeah. It's, it's a really All nice right. cemetery. Here's the thing. Terry, and I, and I gotta agree with Terry on this. She, she wants a permanent place where people can come that has a marker that people can see. Because we go and visit the graves of her ancestors and my ancestors. Actually, yeah, because I visited like my great 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 grandmother and great 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 grandfather and stuff like that. So we actually go visit and the you graves. Really think people are going to come of and ancestors. See you. Well, somebody w- might. I don't know. We at least pretend that our kids are going to. That's nonsense. Maybe our grandkids. We go see Terry's grandparents' graves every year because we live here, and we've gone and seen. Um, Grandma and Grandpa Braden's and Grandma Engels. Okay, but if we had a family plot, you don't think we would put up a gravestone for you just the way they would uh, there? I don't think... Well, I wouldn't, but maybe your kids would. Problem is, I don't think a family plot would last more than a generation. Really? Yeah. Because we've seen small cemeteries. I mean, it's like you you can read about them. It's like, oh yeah, they were buried at Mm -hmm. such and such cemetery, and then you go and find out exactly where it is and it's like oh yeah it's in the middle of that cornfield it's no longer a cemetery it's now part of a cornfield it's a, or it's a parking lot stuff like that or a parking lot or whatever yeah, yeah. so but anyway mm. here's the nonsense part of it um oh that wasn't the nonsense no that wasn't the nonsense that was oh <laughs> the nonsense uh, you know they they it really i mean it's it really seems like a racket, and I think a, a, a lot of it kind of is. But um, the, there, you know, you you buy like the the site, and you get act, an actual deed to the site where you're going to be buried. And then yeah. on top of that, you you know, you've got to buy the casket, you've got to arrange a funeral, you've got to have um, all kinds of stuff. You, you've got to pay. It costs more, like like half again as much more than the cost of the site itself is the cost of digging the hole and filling the hole in. Yeah. For example. Uh, but here's the nonsense. You uh-huh. You're, you're Go ahead. still not there. Oh, okay. No, I'm no, still I'll, not well, there. I'll tell you later. <laughs> well, here's the nonsense. So inside the hole, you know, they, you, you think, okay, you dig a hole, drop a casket, fill the dirt in, fine. Well, it's not that simple. And this part I get. 
the 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 cemetery wants their grounds to remain nice looking and fairly flat and that kind of stuff, right? The, the various yeah, they don't want yeah. all the graves to have this sort of caved in look. And that's why they require something called a vault. So the, the, they put the casket inside of a concrete vault, and the purpose of the concrete vault is to keep the ground from settling as the casket decays and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Here's the nonsense. You can buy, and people do buy, vaults. Now keep in mind, everybody, these are buried under the ground. Nobody ever sees them. Vaults with decorations and pictures and ornaments. You can have them color, you know, painted and, and fancy. And people spend thousands of dollars for pictures and decorations on a concrete slab that will never be seen. See, I think it's nonsense that uh, the, the caskets themselves are decorated. <laughs> yeah. Did you the caskets themselves? You weren't around be very when uh, Aunt TT died, were you? Yeah, I was. Were you? Were you here listening to her, to her son complain about it? Uh, no, I don't remember. Bobby, that. Bobby, what was his name? Bobby, Bobby, Bobby Fields. Fields, yeah. Who, by the yeah, way, he's okay. passed away a while too now. Yes, he passed away too. Uh, but I got a personal story about him. I got to tell you. But anyway. Um, <clears throat> After she died, he came over and he's trying to organize the whole thing. He's kind of, at that point, I think, really the only halfway organized, serious person who can do it. Everybody else is, I don't know, you know, there are drugs involved and drinking and people whose lives just weren't in order. Mm -hmm. He's the one who's going to pretty much take care of everything. Right. And he sat on Jason's back porch for two hours complaining about and telling us the arguments he had with the the cemetery people mm -hmm. for example he he went through everything in the bill trying to cut it right and one of them was the gravestone has to be set and it costs yes. x hundred dollars to do that right and he said well screw it i'll set the gravestone and they said, no, you can't do it because you don't belong to the union. So he was going to <laughs> union pay work to, to belong to the union yeah. so that he could set his own gravestone, mm -hmm. which would probably end up saving him, I don't know, 50 bucks maybe. But he, uh, there's all kinds of things that I didn't even think of. And that's why I am, I am determined that I will never give a penny to the cemetery. Mm -hmm. But did you ever, uh, do you ever, Drive. You, you've seen St. Joseph Cemetery. Oh yeah, here in Price Hill, right? Mm -hmm. That's where Grandma and the, Grandpa. The fence right, around right. it. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. The big fence around it yep. with spikes on it. Right. Did you ever see a deer impaled on that? No, I haven't. Have you? Yeah, twice. Wow. It it was on my way to work in the morning, and twice I saw a uh, deer would try to jump over it, and they they get impaled. Man. I didn't realize. I don't even know how a deer could jump that high. That's like six or seven feet high at I least. Know, deer can Maybe jump. eight feet. They can jump. I didn't think they could jump that high, <laughs> but they do, and then they come down they on top of it. Yeah, and they, they misjudge. Wow. Thankfully, I never saw a live one. I mean, they were dead I know, by the time it, I seen yeah. them. So did and you, the, like, the, call, like, local authorities and say, hey, you got to get the deer off there or anything, or just... No, there was a tarp over it, so oh, I assume that the cemetery then. people 
have okay. a have a way of dealing with this. It happens so often. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe they can despike their fans. That is one big cemetery, though. It is. Well, you know, it's two parts now. That is too, a giant cause, cemetery because they they expanded. Huh? It's two parts because there's there's an older part and a newer part, right? And they're not even contiguous. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, you got to have a real estate license to sell those plots. Yes, because you get an actual land deed to them. Yeah. What? Ha- I don't understand. I mean, when they things don't stay cemeteries forever, what happens to the to those land deeds, the, to those titles? Well, once you're buried paid? in them, the the I think the title is is um, the only thing the title gives you is the right to be buried there. And so, once you're buried, the the title's fulfilled. The cemeteries themselves the big ones tend to stay cemeteries it's the smaller yeah. ones that that get turned into parking lots and cornfields and stuff like that like for example um st joseph cemetery is not gonna stop being a cemetery even you know 200 years from now you don't think so no well, i mean i'm sorry that's it and like it's a huge plot of land right in the yeah. middle of the city i know Eventually, people are going to be like, you know what, we need to, you know, nobody's been buried in this area for a hundred years. There's no one living who if, has a buried if it becomes decrepit, that they knew. If it becomes decrepit to the point where nobody visits and that kind of stuff anymore, okay, I could see maybe they might do that. But even then, I bet not. I bet the, the local historical society would, would um, agitate to at least, you know, make sure that it stays there and stuff. Um you know, but music hall was buried on a cemetery. Was it? Is that why they say it's haunted? Uh, it's more than that. They it was actually a uh, like a pauper's grave. Oh, okay, okay, like a, a potter's field. There was kind of a thing. Uh, there was a <clears throat> okay in the news. They called it a sanator- sanitarium. That's a crazy house. What does that suggest to you? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, but oh, wait but a minute. It was a kid's sanitarium. Oh. And it was dur- during the cholera uh, outbreak epidemic, I guess. Yeah, and so there's what kids that were buried there, and that's what they built it on top of, like thousands, and oh, to wow. the point where you know Cincinnati was a pig uh, town. Yeah, the the escapee pigs were out there digging up bodies and eating them. Oh man. Because the graves were so shallow because there were so many people buried there. Oh, And wow. most wow. of them unmarked. hmm And so, finally, they... I don't know what they... When you excavate a grave site, I mean, you got to do something with all them bones. Right. But... Yeah, I don't they know if they, if they built burn them the or the music what? hall there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then years later, they do things like, hey, we want to... Put an elevator here. They got to dig an elevator shaft, and they, and find, they find even more. more skeletons. Yeah, yeah. So it's still happening. They still find a skeleton here and there. Yeah, but I that was a largely unmarked that cemetery. That wasn't like a cemetery with grave markers and stuff like that. Yeah, that was just was a place where they buried the kids that died because they didn't have anything else to do with them. Nowadays, they burn them so that you don't have this problem in the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think the state pays for it if if no one claims if the no body, claim, then the state just... will. All right, let's burn them, and, burn them and then bury the ashes somewhere. Know. Yeah, I guess. I'm telling all my kids, don't claim me when I die. Put it on the state. Let them burn me. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then go claim your ashes and... and uh, I guess. Because you, you know, still want a funeral take mass. Take a little vial and put some... Huh? You still want a funeral mass. 
Yeah, they don't have to have a body for that, though. I guess they don't technically need a body, no. Right. And you could say a mass for someone even years after they're dead, so... I know, but it's that's... not a funeral mass, I guess. No, yeah. I, maybe you could if they haven't had one. But they call Probably. it a rite... There's a, there's a funeral mass and a rite of Christian burial, both of which involve prayers for the dead. But I guess you can have both of those without a physical body. Um, the... Let's see. Uh, there's a lady down the street from us and her sister died she was catholic but i don't think she really practiced Mm -hmm. but ginger just she saw it on herself to make sure that she got a catholic mass oh okay so she goes calling around to the the uh the parish was in delhi and He's given her static because it's like, I've never even seen this lady. And he says, all right, we can have a mass, but it's going to cost this much. And she's like, no, you can't, you can't charge me for a sacrament. You can't do that. And she's fighting him on that. Um, but she, she got it done. I mean, <laughs> she, she gave him hell. Got it, huh? Wow. <laughs> she, well, he was, he just before that, uh, a guy had died in, uh, I guess Iraq mm-hmm. in, in one of the wars that we were in yeah. and he had, he had done the funeral and there were like, it, it was public funeral and there were like big long lines of people along the oh, road when the thing yeah. drove past and he was a big part of that. And she brought that up and it was like, okay, so if he's famous, then I don't think the guy attention. really went to that church. Right. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if it's just some nobody, then you don't want to do the Mass. I need to have this Mass. Yeah. And I think finally mm-hmm. he conceded and did it for free. Oh, good for her. Yeah. All right. I think All right. I think we're out of things to talk about. That's all about. I got. All right. Thanks for listening, well, folks, everyone. Think about what we said. And circle the beads. And circle the beads. And we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye.